there is this kind of disconnect between the two. We've got this old kind of legacy market, which is using names like Gorilla Glue and Strawberry Crush. Doctors aren't comfortable with those names. They feel like drug dealers when they're, they're using that terminology. And I think this is kind of, we need to meet somewhere in the middle. Overcoming the fear. Following our Vox Pop interview with Dr. Kelly Seaman at Cannabis Europa in June, we pick up on her assertion that UK doctors are afraid of prescribing medical cannabis and ask how and what we can do to help educate and assure them of the plant's legitimacy and viability. And welcome to the Lobster Pot. I'm Dave Barton, the, one of the co-founders of uh, Thermidor and uh, presenter on the Lobster Pot, ably assisted, I'm going to say it again, by my other co-founder, Jamie Bontheron. And we're official today, actually, aren't we? We are an officially incorporated company, Thermidor Creative Limited. So good times, huh? Good times ahead. Yeah. We've okay. made it. We've made. What were we doing That's before? It. We were just we were just winging it, weren't we? No, I don't know. Fake it till you make it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. No. Okay. Our guest is already shaking her head at us, so uh, I think it's an opportune moment to uh, introduce her. Today we are joined by who we already established this week at least is the busiest person in uh, cannabis or UK cannabis. It's uh, Dr. Kelly Seaman. So welcome to the show, Kelly. Great to have you on. How's things going for you today? Good, thank you. Um, pleasure to be here. Um, as you say, it's busy, busy, busy. And uh, the fake it till you make it. I'm real like solid steel because I'm from Sheffield. So that, that oh. guy always go with that kind of old chestnut there. That's it. Good stuff. But again, on your being busy, I mean, how many organizations or companies are you involved with? Tell us a little bit about what's your current day to day. So my, what I call my bread and butter is Aqua Laboratories. Um, that's where I'm sat here today. And we make liquid fertilizers for the hydroponic industry. Uh, started that business nearly 10 years ago um, after working for a company called Aquaculture and helping to produce a, another brand of nutrients. We actually produce a brand of nutrients called Shogun Fertilizers, um, which is um, throughout the UK and into Europe at the moment. So that's my day-to-day -day job. And that's, that's a manufacturer plant of those so I've gone through the whole kind of manufacturing process uh, and understanding what's needed from that but other companies that I'm involved with as well um, is a number of different licensed cultivation facilities so there's kind of two sides to my job there's the manufacturing um, and advising technical advice around the, the fertilizers then there's working with licensed cultivation facilities uh, internationally and in the UK uh, so uh, I've been working closely on trichrome density uh, looking at the, the number of trichromes basically on plants and how we can improve that and that relates to oil production I'm also involved with another company called Chillum who are a female care product which are up and coming um, I'm on the advisory board to that there's also MedCan support which you've probably seen me out and about with um, and that is a community interest company that helps support families with children with factory epilepsy and help to educate them around cannabis based medicines because this is a real minefield out there uh, there's so much misinformation out there so many people trying to help but not really giving accurate information and sometimes can be quite dangerous for families like this um, particularly with the fact that they've got children who suffer from epilepsy and a seizure can be a fatality so this is sort of very different to managing pain with cannabis-based medicines um, 
Who else am I involved with? I'm involved with a farm with in uh, New Zealand as well called Pure Isolation, who are a small farm over there who are up and coming um, uh, on the advisory board there and on the Cannabis Industry Council, a part of the Adult Use Scoping Group. I am the chair of that and leading that, hopefully, uh, to be helping to advise government and educate more people around uh, what's actually happening out there at the moment. And that's just before, uh, you know, just after 11 o'clock on a Wednesday. And that's uh, <laughs> and that's before we've even got over the hump of the mid part of the week. But no, that that's that's just a wow. It's like, you know, where do you find all the hours in the day? But I guess it's a case of uh, your passion shines through. And if you want to be involved, then you get involved. And, that you know, you know, hats off to you, really. That's uh, that's fascinating. But uh, what, this industry yeah. is a dream for me, if I'm yeah. honest. I never yeah. thought if you'd asked me 10 years where I would have been, would I have imagined being in licensed cultivation facilities, walking through them, doing research, trying to understand the, the secondary metabolite production of these plants and steer that? Nah, I'd, I'd have said you're making this up. That's never going to happen. So, so what were you doing 10 years ago? What, was, what, what led you into the fascinating world of cannabis? What, what's your background? So I'm lucky enough, I have a, an absolutely fabulous father. Um, when I was 15, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. And I was very quickly put onto camazepine, which is a, a anti-epileptic drug. And it's, well, it's now actually used recreationally, funny enough. Um, so it is a drug of abuse. Uh, but it, 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 I was quickly put onto that. And my GCSE were, I was, I was straight A student, and they went down to C's and D's. And my dad saw this, and he introduced me to cannabis to help with my seizures. And I did my A-levels, came off of the camazepine and used cannabis from then onwards um, and used to go to the local hydroponic shop with my dad to buy equipment, got friends with the people that worked there, uh, went to university to do a degree in biomedical sciences and ended up working in the actual the grow shop part time, Saturday girl. But during my time doing my, my degree, I did a year at uh, GlaxoSmithKline completely hated it it wasn't for me i always wanted to do drug development i always was passionate about that and always wanted to help people but working for a big pharmaceutical company a big corporate company was very very different to what i imagined in my head it's like csi when you see that on the yeah, tv yeah. and all oh, that lovely mood lighting and yeah and that's it and people just knowing exactly what they're talking about and talking about it at great length and you think hang on you know <laughs> no no but again Big Pharma wasn't for you, per se. No, no, definitely was not for me. Went into the hydroponic industry and found found my people, found people who understood me. I didn't have to hide. I spent many, many years hiding my con uh, cannabis consumption and hiding the fact I was epileptic as well. Wow. Within this industry, I didn't have to hide that. We were, we were family. And that's where I started. And the company I worked for called Aqua Laboratories, uh, Aqua Laboratories, so Aquaculture, correct myself. Many people from this industry have come from there. We've got Eco Thrive. Uh, they came from Aquaculture. There's uh, people who are now working in Canna. We've got, got lots of different people came from this. It was kind of one of the kind of brainchilds of things. And I, they sponsored my PhD in fertilizer chemistry. Fortunately, they went into administration during that time. Um, and that's where we started 
Aqualabs from there and things have just then kind of escalated. I, I've been in the industry 20 years now. I first sort of uh, finishing my um, degree is when I came into the industry and was working as a Saturday girl there. So that's how I got into the industry. Wow. And once you're in, you never leave. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'm guessing that's not a sort of typical path for a lot of people. But uh, I mean, it's a fascinating one nonetheless. And, you know, the fact it's driven by, you know, a very personal story as well is, again, that, that's that's the sort of crux of when we speak to a lot of people, you know, everyone's got a kind of personal connection to to cannabis, to, to the industry. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's uh, I think the more we kind of try and talk about, you know, the fact that cannabis is medicine, the more legitimate it becomes. But again, something I guess we we've spoken about sort of anecdotally is this idea of you know presenting cannabis as medicine and the challenge to a lot of gps and doctors and healthcare professionals um still a big challenge and obviously through the work of like the cic and through the mccs lots of different organizations and plea and ad advocating for you know understanding you know the patient stories about that but i mean there's still a huge mountain to climb isn't there i mean we've got sixteen thousand medical cannabis patients in the uk private you know but I mean, compared with somewhere like New Zealand, we were speaking, I think, to, to Carmen Duran and we heard her um, uh, in Berlin talking about, you know, New Zealand, which has, you know, a f population that's less than 10% of the UK has double the amount of uh, medical cannabis patients. So what, I guess my question to you is, what do you see as, you know, what's stopping people, what's stopping GPs, what's holding back the medical community from embracing it from your perspective? Well, th there's many angles to it. It's the stigma. We were we were constantly from a young age told that this is, is no medicinal properties. When I did my degree in the early noughties, all we learned about THC and cannabis was how to detect it in urine or blood in forensics. This was about determining if somebody had been consuming. Nothing to do with the endocannabinoid system. That, that wasn't even mentioned. That wasn't even on the curriculum, the endocannabinoid system, wow. let alone cannabis being a medicine. So I think that's really where we need to start with the education and that the, the acceptance of it. It has a medicinal property. Uh, so many years people have just dismissed it. I think that's the start of it and the stigma associated with it. I think we also then need to be more understanding of the doctors. You have to remember the doctors have to know all of these different diseases. They then also know after all the different uh, actual medications that go with that. And then we're expecting them to understand this medication, this new medication that they've been told is a substance of abuse. And then there are all the different cultivars that come with that, with all the different profiles of cannabinoids, all the different profiles of terpenes, all the different names. And I think there is this kind of disconnect between the two. We've got this old kind of legacy market, which is using names like Gorilla Glue and Strawberry Crush. Doctors aren't comfortable with those names. They feel like drug dealers when they're, they're using that terminology. And I think this is kind of, we need to meet somewhere in the middle. Um, I feel that a doctor should be able to make a recommendation that somebody uses cannabis and then they would go to a cannabis specialist. So they would go to like what we've got kind of set up in um, in Canada where there is a dispensary. They go to that and there are bud tenders, which you can then talk to that person about different cultivars that may suit you. The terpene profiles that are in there that you may have allergies to or what you're trying to achieve 
from this medication rather than putting that in the doctor's hands if the doctor feels that cannabis would be a, a good medication for you they can recommend it and then let's move it on to someone who can become an expert in cannabis so that the, the real proper treatment can be given as opposed to what's happening at the moment of the doctors are having to kind of prescribe what's available as opposed to what the patient needs the UK at the moment was still very behind at the moment. We're, we still have no domestic, real domestic supply here. Everything we receive is imported. For me, that needs to be cut out. We need to get a domestic supply here. We need to cut out import charges. Companies, you know, in on the layers, putting their little slot onto it because that's what's driving up the cost of this product, not actually the product itself not the cultivation the farmers themselves are actually ending up with the raw end of the deal here so and now i've slightly gone off on a bit of a tangent there not at all. it's also interrelated is the thing and, and and i think we need to really we need to look at this domestic supply here and, and this education we need to change it and we need to even i think in primary schools when we're talking about you know the central nervous system we're talking uh, you know about all of the different systems the renal system the endocannabinoid system should be in there as well and i think that's the first steps that first you know accepting that oh i've got an endocannabinoid system you've got an endocannabinoid system there can be treatment for this there can be things to use in relation with this and that that's kind of first the kind of first stigmas we need to get rid of um but it's, it's a two-way kind of thing patients also need to be patient with the doctors They've spent a lot of time training to get to where they are. And if you haven't got the support of your, your, your medical counsel for you to prescribe this, your choice is going to be, well, do I lose my license or do I? So I, I, get, I get their fear as well. Yeah. But times are changing. You know, podcasts like this are helping. They're helping every step of the way. Well, you know, it's playing a small part, but I think, again, hearing different perspectives like your own and, you know, you know, educated perspectives on what's kind of happening out there. And I think that's a lot of the the myths that we need to kind of dispel. Actually, what was it? Was it the um, Leafy article? Was it 84%? I mean, it was a poll of 4,000 people in the UK, but 84% don't realise that medical cannabis is even, you know, available here in the UK. And, you know, I'd like to say I'm surprised by that, but I'm totally not. It's the sad thing. Um, but again, as, I mean, there's a lot kind of to unpack from what you just said. I think one of the interesting things um, you talked about sort of bud tenders and people on the kind of pharmaceutical pharmacy side, dispensary side, having that product knowledge. And we don't quite have that culture in the UK as we do. Well, not, I guess, in the in the sort of legal market um, in the same way they do in, say, the US or Canada or other countries where they've got kind of open recreational markets. But Again, the thing I hear from people in uh, in those parts of the world is that, you know, the bud tender's role is so critical in, you know, recommending product to the patient. You know, there's a commercial pull and then there's the kind of, well, you might be experts, but there's still essentially a glorified shop assistant. And that's not to, to the de detriment of people working in retail, but they're just not paid enough to kind of be that role. And how do we kind of navigate stuff like that? And when we talk about the kind of recreational versus medical kind of cannabis, you know, does I mean, does having a kind of recreational market negate the need for a medical market or how, how can the two coexist? And that's for me is a really interesting question. 
Uh, it'd be interesting to get your take on that. It, it's, there's a very blurred line between recreational and medical, uh, a very, very blurred line. And if we take it back to alcohol, for example, a lot of people will have a glass of wine on an evening to relax, to, um, to aid with sleep, and they're using it medicinally. So we could have the availability of flour so people can go choose and pick and choose as they want, just like you can with your alcohol. But you wouldn't go to your doctor and your doctor then prescribe you alcohol. You, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't go to the doctor and say, well, I think I need a Chardonnay or I need a Sauvignon Blanc. You just, you just wouldn't. So I don't see why we're trying to force cannabis into this hole that already kind of exists. That there is... All that is actually sort of stated within uh, medical products at the moment is the CBD to THC ratio. That is all the information we get in the UK at the moment. And I feel that more information needs presenting about that. But as doctors, because they've trained for all of this time as well, I feel we need to be a bit more respectful of them. They don't need to be told what you think they should be prescribing you. You wouldn't go to your doctor and say, well, I actually think I need some benzodiazepines or I think I actually need you to, you know, to prescribe me some fentanyl because I'm in pain. You go to the doctor with your symptoms and they then make the decision to what you want uh, as well. And I think we also need to accept that cannabis isn't this silver bullet isn't going to cure everything. I accept that it isn't going to cure my epilepsy. What it helps to do is it helps to manage my triggers. It helps to manage my symptoms. It helps with my sleep, which then can trigger seizures. For some people, it is this miracle worker, and I'm not saying it isn't, but I think we've also got the issue of there is a lot of people trying to market this as a a real silver bullet, bullet to cure everything and people are not seeing the results that they're expecting from it and we need to start managing those kind of expectations yeah, because otherwise you just have that complete lack of credibility and it's like well everyone's saying it's, it's you know it's it's a help you know it's wellness it's medicine but you know all i'm doing is getting high so how is that medicine and it's like well unpacking that in a different way feeling better feeling more relaxed feeling more you know in control is obviously a better thing but i think again it's it's about that kind of drive towards people taking more control of their own wellness their own day-to-day -day health or rather we were talking about we spoke to uh jordan wagman the cannabis chef and he's very much an advocate of you know what's he said garbage in garbage out type thing you know and you know i guess in the uk and i think we made the point that you know we're we're so lucky to have the nhs that yeah. it's just we can you know but we do that with that kind of free healthcare. the expectation is we just do what the hell we want drink smoke you know fill ourselves up with crap food and then fall into the arms of the nhs and expect them to work miracles now i think obviously that's changing i think i honestly do think that people are taking more control of their own health journeys and being more aware of different supplements different things and i think if we can kind of harness medical cannabis or you know recreation whatever it is into that broader picture of take back control of your own health that feels like the right place to, it, for it to rest and i don't know what don't know what you guys think about that that's just kind of my personal take on it i think it's the part of yeah as you say a wellness regime this is not just a right i'm going to take this cannabis and it will sort my problem out this is my problem it needs to be part of the whole regime it needs to be mm. part of moving around more making sure that you're taking exercise Taking a moment to do some mindfulness, you know, you know, quieting the mind down, taking that time to relax as well. As you say, garbage in, 
garbage out. If you are constantly feeding in sugar, artificial sweeteners, constantly what comes out is going to be problematic. So it, it, we do need to take responsibility of that and make it part of, as you said, that regime, that kind of part of the whole wellness. I, I, I don't, personally, I don't like this, this terminology of medical cannabis. There are, there are some patients that do need very specific medication and the families from MedCan support with these children with factory epilepsy is very, very different to the likes of somebody who's managing pain or somebody who has epilepsy like myself that isn't quite as, um, it's not as, as sensitive as such or severe, I think is probably a better way. Um, so it's kind of horses for courses um, in, in, in the sense that it's what is that medication needed for? But we have to stop saying that it will cure everything. Um, I've got a little bit of a fear at the moment of what's happening particularly what I'm seeing in the news as well at the moment, that there are, there are particular companies jumping on this, they're seeing it as the next big wave. They're seeing it as the next big buzzword and it's going to be the next thing they're going to make a lot of money on. Five-year plan, sell the company, off they go, um, onto the next thing, which will be psychedelics because we're seeing that coming through now and we're seeing the same people who were in the game of, oh, cannabis is going to be the next big, you know, the next green gold and now they're on to psychedelics because it's a little bit easier to get psychedelics through and actually growing them and synthesizing them and keeping them consistent is a lot easier than cannabis. It's a plant. It'll do what it wants and it will respond to its environment and produce not exactly what you want and it will what you think it's going to produce. Slight couple of temperature changes through the life cycle of the plant. Oh, You've popped up some THCV. Nice. Um, and depending what part of the plant it comes from as well. And I think we need to understand that about cannabis as well. It's a plant. We're, we're, it's not a synthesized drug. Isolates are individual compounds on their own. There's been a lot of work done around the entourage effect and how full plant ex, uh, full, full ex Full spectrum. I can't even get the terminology out today. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I can't. I can't do it in any any time. So you know, I'm just full plant extract, which is warts and all. Um, how much more beneficial that is in comparison to isolated CBD? We've seen the studies, the difference, and the the reduced amount of side effects um, with, with children, particularly the amount of CBD that is needed isolated cbd so that's the compound all on its own a little bit like when you buy paracetamol from the shop that you've got paracetamol on it or aspirin's the even better way of putting it um aspirin comes from willow basically um so it's an individual compound or um, another another example of it is diamorphine the individual compound that comes from opium uh, which comes from the poppies uh, but what you've got with um full plant extract is like opium it's got a mixture of different compounds in there it's got ten of its thc in there it's got the acid forms it's got cbc in there it's got cbg in there it's got all of the flavonoids in there as well it's got the terpenes and the flavonoids are what produce the beautiful colors that you will see the purple kind of uh, blooms that you see within the flowers uh, and these are a reaction to light and this is all stress reaction so all of these compounds these secondary metabolites i'm talking about 
Our stress reactions to defend itself against either insects, uh, herbivores, cells, because it doesn't really want us eating it, um, uh, you know, and fungal attack as well, or response to light. This is where all these beautiful colours come out as well. So... I'd lost my train of thought there. Apologies. No, it's fascinating. I mean, again, this is always an education, right? Yes. Uh, completely. I, I, I want to kind, kind of go back to something you said. It's really interesting. You're someone who's been in cannabis as an industry for a long time and as a cannabis user for even longer. Now, what I think Dave and I have noticed as we speak to more and more you know, genuine experts in their own fields, in their own spaces, is that if you work in a stigmatized industry, you have to come armed to the teeth with facts. You have to be able to defend yourself at every corner, at every opportunity, because you could get ambushed. And it's amazing, even in the sort of 25, 30 minutes that we've been talking, how much we've kind of covered or, 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 or touched on, be it cannabinoids, be it, you know, full spectrum isolate, be it um, terpenes, everything, you know, there's so much information to unpack and it's what makes cannabis very difficult as a medicinal product because understanding what it does is really challenging because there's so much that goes into it. Not only the person who's going to be consuming it, method of consumption, where the strains come from, the life cycle of the plant, what's happened during grow. There's, there's, there, there's simply so many factors that it makes it a very difficult to predict medicine ultimately. Yes. <laughs> how do you start how do you start and this is you know from david and i's perspective when it comes to messaging and marketing how do you start to engage with someone who doesn't know anything about the plant who doesn't you know where do you start and how do you begin that process of educating are there is there you know as we will say low-hanging fruit when it comes to giving people information that they can take with them to start learning and to start taking on just this wealth this sea of you know data and info I would I would start with the fact that it is it's not a silver bullet. Do not oversell this. If this is going to cure everything, that that is pe managing people's expectations from this. As I say, it can be fabulous. Um, I, I always start with the CBD side of things. That the because this is not an intoxicating compound, and, and quite often I've seen people who have gone. I need some cannabis. They've gone to the illicit market, got something that they don't know the what the THC content is to it. They don't know the CBD content to it. Um, they don't really understand. They just know they've got cannabis. They've had something with some very high THC in it or some CBN in there. It's made them feel drowsy, a little bit woozy. They've span out and never go back to it again. They've had what's called a whitey. Um, and it's not a nice feeling. Um, it's not a nice feeling at all. Um, I'm a person who doesn't eat it because of the way that it processes through your liver and produces 11-hydroxyform. I don't like that feeling personally. Um, I, I don't enjoy it. I don't like eating um, THC at all. Um, CBD, I will use orally. Um, but starting with that and that you don't have to smoke it. I think that I, I've seen a lot of people of, oh, you, you've got to smoke that wacky backy. It always makes me laugh that face, wacky backy. That's, that's, um, that's, my, that's my dad's uh, take on it. Actually. So you're getting into this wacky backy. You know, oh, yeah, yeah, right, yeah, you know. But yeah, no, are you going to be rapping soon? That's it. Well, I've got the hat, so I just have to start, you know, I'm, I'm down with the kids, obviously. But no, it's that sort of thing, isn't it? Absolutely. But again, this is what we're talking about with, with Jordan Wegman. But, you know, one of his comments, I think he said at, um, in Berlin was on, on the panel, it was, you know, I want to make products that, that I can enjoy because I'm, you know, I'm. he said he was 
a functioning stoner day to day. And he's quite proud of that, which is great. I want to make products that my mum can enjoy that will help her, you know, and that's what the crux of it is that it, it can't be scary for people because otherwise, you know, we've been told so much about all oh, smoking's bad. Don't smoke, you know? And then it's like, Oh, well, smoking, smoking cannabis is okay, but that's smoking drugs. Isn't it? That's even worse. You know, it's, it's so many, so much wrapped up in that. So what, you know, what, what makes it more acceptable? And like you say, finding ways to do that, finding ways that work. And it, there, do you think there's a lot of trial and error in it as well? Because, you know, what works for some people won't work for another. And that's nature of their own bodies and the nature of the plant. Right. 100%. Your endocannabinoid system is very different to my endocannabinoid system and Jamie's endocannabinoid system as well. And what one cultivar will do to me will be very different to you. So we need to accept this. It's a personalized medicine and we need to look at that. We also need to look at the terpenes because that tends to be where the most allergies come from. So have you ever had an allergy to a washing powder or a soap? It's usually because they've added terpenes in there for the smell. Terpenes from the plant are what produce the beautiful smells. So understanding your allergies can help prevent a problem as well. So that is, that is at once kind of side of it as well, of, of that education around that. I think the, the acceptance of that a tincture can be used and that tablet form that people are used to everybody should have their own free will to be able to consume the way that they want to and what works for them. Some people like smoking. Some people like that kind of habit, that feeling. Some people like vaporizing and works very well for them. Others find that that doesn't have the desired effect that they need. I mean, going back to what you were saying about, you know, people are worried about, oh, I'm going to take cannabis and I'm going to be high. Have you had cocodamol? and felt sleepy in the afternoon. But why don't we say you're high there then? Because you are. You're high on the opiates that are in there. So why is cocodamol not said to be you're high when you're feeling sleepy, but you take cannabis, you're high when you feel sleepy? Just a question putting out there. It's a, it's just the interesting way that stigmas develop and then turn into something else and how you view one thing, you know, the difference between a spliff and a glass of wine is, you know, it's exactly the same. It's, it's viewing the same thing from a different angle and assuming that there's a difference within it. I think, uh, Going to your point about terpenes and allergies, not really something I've ever sort of covered or got into. Is there are there particular terpenes that are more common for people to be allergic to? You know, a lot of people, you know, have hay fever with grass or tree pollen. Is are there similar kinds of terpenes that are more, I suppose, troublesome for the majority or some people? Well, I hear this is all anecdotal. So this is all I would call real world evidence of talking to people. Um, I know people that find linalol will create them to become quite anxious they, they any 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 particular cultivar which they consume has a lot of linalol in they will become anxious um th there's no hard data surrounding this at the moment and this is what we do need to actually produce is hard data that doctors will then recognize will actually accept as being hard evidence around this i like to describe the dirty dozen in the cannabis so there's 12 key terpenes that you will find uh, in there myrcene being one of the most dominant and that's the kind of the, that distinctive kind of cannabis smell that we all know 
we've got Mercy, we've got Linalol, we've got beta-cara-ethylene. Now, there is evidence and there are papers out around that, that that interacts with CBD and the um, endocannabinoid system. And I believe the CB1 receptor within the endocannabinoid system. So there is an interaction there with that, which can help to actually heighten the effects of a cannabis based medicine. Uh, we've then got uh, we've got pinene, we've got alpha pinene, beta pinene, and they're two, they're pinene, but they're the same thing. But they are what are known as stereoisomers, so they are the reflection of one another. Which you think it's the same compound? What are you going on about? Because it's a mirror image of one another, it will interact with receptors differently. It will have a different charge on it. So it's a little bit like a key. A key may look identical, but if it's got that slight tooth, it's a mirror image. It won't fit into that lock and have that same purpose to it. I'm trying to think of some of the other. Um, you've got... Um, We've got limonene. Is that a dominant one? Yep, that's another good one. That's, a, that's kind of a... Uh, a lime smell to it lemony smell kind of to it as well um there's many many more that in fact there's hundreds of different ones that are in all different plants lavender is a, a classic one with um linalol in it um within your uh your, your basil you've got your your beta your, your camphorine within that one as well and the, as i say they're throughout whole of nature and the act as insecticides and um, natural produced pesticides that the plant is trying to detract or attract, quite the opposite as well, is attract for pollination as well. So it's, it's, it's a very complex plant and nature is an amazing thing. But it's, what's fascinating is that, you know, when you look at it like that, I mean, I, di I didn't realize that is what you said, is it paracetamol comes from willow or something? Or was it aspirin? I can't remember. Aspirin comes aspirin. from willow. I had no idea. I mean, I, you know, I should have paid more attention in science class, but to be honest, once it got past the whole uh, biology bit and the, the rude bits, I just kind of switched off. But, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, but again, where does this knowledge come from? Who's got it? Where, you know, it's just not, unless you kind of actively seeking it out, there's no way of understanding any of this. Um, not to my knowledge. And again, like you say, when it comes down to kind of education, primary, secondary school, all of that, you know, it's kind of plant-based understanding the world around us because nature provides in so many different ways and we don't necessarily realize that. Um, and again, it's a very different mindset to what doctors, like you say, to their credit or, you know, doctors are educated one way. They're not told to kind of embrace, you know, kind of plant-based medicine. It's a different beast, right? It's kind of like one pill, one cure, right? Or whatever it is. If I put my scientist head on, if you're setting an experiment up, you want the least amount of variables in order to get a really good conclusion, reduce down all the variables. So one compound, no compound, nice and simple. So with that hat on, you're thinking, well, yeah, I can see why they want to go down that route. But this doesn't work in that way. And you can look at it as well, again, like oranges or carrots with vitamin C. You don't get, well, some people get vitamin C tablets when they need extra. But you go, well, I'll have some orange juice. I can get the vitamin C from that. And all the other bits and bobs that are in there as well. So maybe we need to start viewing our well-being yeah. a bit more rounded rather than looking for cures maybe we actually need to be looking at preventions as opposed to cures prevention is far easier than the cure and, and and that's i think we need to get kind of out of that mindset and we need to bring it to into our living as a whole as a well-being as a whole this not being 
I keep going back to this silver bullet analogy. I just hear it so many times. I see so much marketing with it that it's going to save your life and it's going to, it will do some people, but for some, it doesn't have that desired effect. Um, and we just need to be realistic. And you need to also be thinking about the rest of your life, not just looking for a pill to cure. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think there's like a particular challenge in the UK talking about the NHS, the GPs hold the keys, you know, they're the referrers uh, effectively. But just from having this conversation, it's really fleshed out in my mind just how impossible it is to expect a a general practitioner to have any depth of knowledge in this, you know, even an expert, (laughs) someone like self who's spent years and years studying it, there's so much. And the fact that it interacts so differently with different people there's there's no way you can expect them to to have a really in-depth knowledge if, as a GP. They're going to have to send it to specialists, whoever they are, whether they're dispensaries, whether, you know, bud tenders, pharmacists, wherever it is, someone who can, I suppose, have more time and more impetus to look into specific things. I suppose the one thing that is beneficial within the medical spaces because we have a very limited supply of medical cannabis it does narrow down the things that can be prescribed so i suppose that's almost a positive of the fact that we have a lack of variety it does actually make it a little bit more accessible for medical practitioners to get to grips with it because they're not after having to learn about 100 different strains you know there's there's only a few on the market (laughs) so perhaps that makes it easier at the moment i'm not sure if that's actually a, a benefit of almost the monopoly that kind of exists. Well, I think we need to allow patients, if they want to be able to grow their own and produce their own, they should be allowed to to take, again, that pressure off of the doctors. Quite a few patients know exactly what they need. They know the cultivar that works for them. They need regular access and are happy to produce their own and become self-sufficient. And I think we need to allow people to be able to do that. I think those who want the guidance of a doctor, we need to have that in place as well. And we need to have a supply of consistent product that you don't find a product that works for you. And then you find in six months time that that product's no longer available. That that is happening, and it's happening quite regularly. And that needs to be that needs addressing, and really does need addressing. Um, and this is why I think some patients are losing faith within this system because they're finding something that works, and then all of a sudden it's no longer available for them, or there's a, a breakup in the supply of which them being able to receive their medication. Uh, if they want to really tackle this issue, th- th- this isn't a one-pronged attack. There are many different layers to this and many different things we need to allow happening. If we're looking over at Thailand at the moment and what's happening there, they seem to be addressing the, the kind of the issue quite sensibly. And um, the way that they've produced, um, you know, I think it's a million plants that they've given out uh, have high CBD varieties. I think we also need to make laboratories available to people as well so that people can send what they are using to a laboratory to understand what it is, what's in it. What is the ratio of THC to CBD? It's a very, very different experience with a one-to-one ratio of CBD to THC than it is to a one-to-twenty favoring THC experience um so what people not knowing what they're actually consuming it, it again is is part of the problem so there's a, there's a whole layers that, that is really needed yeah. and we need this availability of laboratories so people can make informed decisions on what they're using to medicate absolutely i mean yeah it's uh it is a minefield i mean from my own experience as a medical patient here in the uk it's it's a case of what it, you know 
I mean, my own experience was very much like, you know, well, yes, you, you do fit the criteria. What can we get you? And there was a case of, well, what do you have, you know, and well, we have this, this, and this, what do you recommend? You know, this is, you know, I'm, I'm asking you, you know, I've paid and, you, you know, my money. You should be telling me hmm. what, <laughs> or I don't pay you money and I go to a dispensary and go pick myself. Mm. But then, you know, I mean, there's a whole, I mean, the dispensary is so separate from the actual clinics prescribing here in the UK. And, you know, again, I think there was one that was, was recently shut down as well. I mean, there's, there's, there's so much misinformation, I suppose, not deliberately, but again, it's just kind of like where the kind of, not just from a medical perspective, but from a legal perspective, what's permissible, what isn't, who's able to prescribe it, who isn't, you know, and, you know, even though it, it, it is difficult to navigate. And I think for a lot of people, it's just easier not to, isn't it? And they need yeah. that real incentive to embrace it. So, you know, they need to have that passion behind it. And then again, having been to, what was it, one of Mike Barnes' uh, MCCS kind of doctors, um, like open surgery kind of evening. I mean, you know, he's giving you know, experienced doctors, cannabis 101. And that's not because, you know, and these are very experienced people, but they just don't know. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's just kind of explaining what this is, what the endocannabinoid system is, what terpenes are, you know, very much. And, you know, you can see them, oh, oh, really? And it's like, wow, you know, these are people who are <laughs> very, very, you know, accomplished professionals. And it's just, you know, it, it just goes to show that that education just needs to be perpetuated at all levels of uh, society, you know. I think we need to look towards the legacy market as well. And I think it needs to stop being shunned. It is being shunned far too much as, as there is a lot of knowledge there. Yes. Uh, knowledge, I'm not saying it's all good knowledge, like in any you know industry, but there is, there is real experience there, first-hand mm -hmm. experience. And, and, and a lot of the problem is, is they've not had the availability of laboratories. They've not had availability of equipment to be able to say that the product that they have produced is safe for consumption, that it's not got E. coli present, that you know it, it's not got anything, uh, Aspergillus nigeria, which, which for somebody who is actually smoking can cause problems with. It's... It, it's what the, what the legacy market can do, I, I, I never want to down, you know, say that a legal market's better than the legacy market. I think they've both got their places and I think the legacy market needs to be able to have a place within the legal market and will, within this legal framework. Unfortunately, at the moment, the price of being able to get into the legal market just doesn't even allow you know, people from the legacy to even have a chance. Mm. And this is the kind of the class disparity that is occurring with this. Um, I, we, we met at Cannabis Europa and um, talking about the last prisoner project. I don't know if you saw that kind of uh, the talk that was on there and, and, and what they were trying to achieve that within the US, that there, there are people who have been locked up for very minor cannabis offences and ended mm. up in prison for many years because this kind of cycle of needing people to work in there. I mean, one of the sentences, you know, what they actually said that really sort of like hit home to me that, yes, the war on drugs was successful. It was successful at creating an industry for lawyers. It was successful for creating prison workers. It was successful for creating this whole industry around law, mm. this war on drugs, as opposed to being successful of actually tackling the problem of drugs and the harm that the drugs were doing. So, I, I, the answer's not simple. No, absolutely not. And I think, again, 
it's it's crazy when people are making millions of pounds, dollars, euros, whatever, of an industry, when other people are rotten in jail for you know pretty much doing the same thing. And, and you know that has to change from from a kind of ethical point of view. But I guess even from the financial and the kind of you know expertise point of view, it makes sense to pardon people with you know minor you know offenses because they're the ones like you say the legacy market that have the expertise that can turn these industries into into the uh, you know sectors they deserve to be. You know th there's a very you know, commercial reason for, you know, pardoning people as well with, with you know, it, it, it just kind of makes sense on so many levels. But again, I think that's one of the good things about the sector is that, you know, you don't have to kind of, you know, it can be ethically driven, it can still be commercially driven, and it can still, you know, have, you know, a, a, a purpose for people, you know, all of those things are so closely tied in together, and they don't have to be separate, this can still be something that everyone participates in and gets you know enjoys and that's what you know i really like about the cannabis industry anyway just just because you and i just love the diversity of it as well as I've, i sort of say all the time these like so many different sectors just coming together and then sort of meeting and going hang on are you kind of doing the same thing as us yeah all right well cool Let, let's let's try, let's try and find a way to work together and you get a lot more of that i feel than you do in you know other other sectors i definitely feel there's a rise of the females here as well I definitely think there is there is a band of us coming together and it feels very strong. I, I feel very lucky with some of the women that I know within this industry that are just fierce warriors who have been through, you know, hardship, who have been through, they've seen their child having yes. you know, hundreds of seizures a day. They have, you know, really fought. And it's really good to see this kind of, a very different kind of way coming through with the way that the way females are conducting themselves and i really hope the rise is going to continue and it isn't going to be just a sea of you know navy suits it's changing oh, absolutely. absolutely yeah 100 and i think for you know again perhaps more so in america it's kind of people of color as well and from very you know different backgrounds really kind of it's not like having a moment but again it's it's not being afraid to sort of shine in something that people have necessarily, you know, to some extent sort of, you know, put a stigma against. And, you know, I think that's, it, it's time for, you know, this is an opportunity, I always think, to for, to build a sector in a way that we want to see it rather than kind of rely on, you know, like you say, the Navy, see if Navy suits and, you know, middle-aged white men, don't know any of those. <laughs> I'm not quite middle-aged yet. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, you're lucky, man. You're lucky. Yeah. No, but it, you're yeah, absolutely lucky. right. Absolutely, absolutely right. You know, it's um, it's for everyone, and it shouldn't just be you know one particular demographic dominating. Absolutely, hundred percent. Cool, cool. And um, no, thank you so much for your time, Kelly. It's been an education. It's been fascinating, and um, you know, I really hope we can uh, speak again. But uh, any final thoughts from your from your side on what you'd like to see happen in the next sort of. You know, I'm just going to put you on the spot now. Twelve months. What needs to happen? You know, what do we need to do? What can we do right now to kind of help drive awareness of, uh, again, particularly medicinal cannabis use in the UK? What I want to see is NHS access. That would be my number one dream: is NHS access for all of the families of MedCan support, so that they're not every month having to raise money in order to get the medication for their child. I, I, that is my number, absolute number one. What we can do to help, if you feel that 
uh, cannabis is a medicine that may be of interest to you or you've been to one of the private clinics, talk to your GP about it. Don't go in with an attitude. Go in and take a peer-reviewed journal with about your disease and the use of cannabis-based medicines and ask them, I've seen this paper, can you explain this paper to them? Don't go in trying to tell them what they already know or don't know. They don't like that. Go in with the actual information and ask them about it and get them to, and then leave that paper with them. And then they might read it. And then they might force them to go, mm, I actually need to uh, educate myself around this. So that's what we can do as individuals. Um, and just talk to everybody about it. Just, just talk about it. Remove that stigma. Talk to other mums. Talk to other parents. Talk to the teachers. Talk to your healthcare professionals. Talk to your hairdresser when you're having your hair done. Just talk about it. Let's let's make this normal. Let's make this not a word that you go wacky backy. Where they go, oh yeah, cannabis. Like you know, oh I I had some nice cannabis the other day. I had a nice bottle of wine the other day. We need to get it to that kind of level. I totally would echo that. I think that's when we'll know we've made it is when you you know you're in the 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 consciousness of the people where it's like beer and wine you'll be fine you know limonene after nine that's a bad time like when it gets to that stage or whatever do you know what I mean when it gets to that stage that's when that's when yeah. I think we will have made it when it's just totally submerged in the consciousness it's just an automatic thing it's almost that you know you get stung by a stinging nettle you pick up a a, a dog leaf that's that's where you want it to be. That's yeah. that's when you'll know. So I'm thinking a new campaign we need to set in motion now. <laughs> sort of, you know, sort Limiting of. Limiting after nine's a bad time. <laughs> that's it. Some sort of proverb, uh, you know, set of um, you know, terpene based pro proverbs. And I like I it. I love that one. Limiting after nine. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, you heard it here first, people. Um, <laughs> But thank you, Kelly. Really, really good to talk to you. And, uh, you know, best of luck in all your endeavours. And, uh, you know, we will speak again. So uh, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Real pleasure. Bye. Thank you for having me.